We're going to be starting a, a new book this morning, the book of Jonah. So if you don't have a copy of God's word, there's one underneath in the seats in front of you. If you don't have one at all, if, if you don't own a Bible, um, take it. That's a gift. Um, you're like, wow, this church is just giving away all of the free stuff. We just want to make the good stuff, this, the right stuff, as accessible as possible to as many people as possible. So we're going to be in Jonah. We're going to be in verses 1 through 3, but the first sentence of 3. I'll go ahead and read the full verse 3, but we will just look at verses 1 through 3. The technical would be 3a. Um, so next time you're at a small group and you want to throw some hermeneutics in people's faces just say let's look at Jonah verses 1 through 3a and just read the first sentence of 3. <laughs> but what we have here in the book of Jonah is let me tell you uh, it's a whale of a tale. Uh, I'm sorry I've been I've been waiting to use that one. Um, used it uh, at, on Thursday at Life Group uh, and I got just as much pity laughs then as I did just right now. <laughs> On a serious note, there was an evangelist um, called G. Campbell Morgan, who is long gone now, but said, if more people paid less attention about the big fish and more attention about the big God, then this book would be a lot more life-transforming. Sadly and unfortunately, a lot of people write this book off because there are a few sentences that have to deal with a very miraculous thing that takes place. A man was eaten by a fish and somehow was in its belly for three days and remained alive. Now, if you don't know, out on the west or east coast, there actually was a man who was swallowed by a whale for a little while, and he survived. So for those skeptics that think, okay, well, that's impossible, it actually happened. But even more so, it's not so much that a man was eaten or eaten by a fish or swallowed by a fish that's miraculous. It's, that's the wrong thing to question at least me about. I believe that a man literally died and was rose again from the dead. And so if we come to this book thinking, well, it's about a man who was swallowed by a fish, then unfortunately we're missing the whole idea of this book and why it was written. Now some people come to this book and they use it for a missions series. And I don't think that's necessarily wrong to do. There's a lot of missional implications here. You've got a man going to the evil culture of Nineveh, the evil society, going there to preach the gospel or preach judgment as what we see later on. So Jonah's message is in the Hebrew, only five words. But that's not the full picture of this. Some people say that this book is just an evangelistic. It helps us and motivates us to be evangelistic. Which there are evangelistic things here in this book, but that's not the primary case. 
Um, there is, I'm reading through this book, and, and if you want to get it, please do. Uh, uh, it is a, a book by a man named Tim Keller, the one whose little booklet we offer out there called Jonah, uh, the Prodigal Prophet. And one of the things he shows is that there is this similarity of Jonah and the prodigal son in the New Testament. And he makes an argument that Jesus quite could have been thinking of Jonah when he was telling that parable. You have here Jonah in this first chapter. The first chapter is all about him running away from the father. Chapter 2, you have Jonah repenting and going then to Nineveh. Jonah preaches in Nineveh. The Ninevites repent. And Jonah, instead of being excited that this great city repents and even their cows repent, I don't know why he put it at that in there, but they do. He's not excited. In fact, Jonah is angry. And so you have the second part of the prodigal son where you have the older brother who is looking down angry at the father who forgives his wayward son. And I see it in there. I think there are, there's a case to be made. But here at the end of the day, I will fight to the death saying that this book, as E.J. Campbell, or G. Morgan Campbell said, is that it's not about a great fish, it's about a great God. And what about a great God? Well, we see the whole point, the, the thread that stitches all of those themes together is this. It's in verse 4, or chapter 4, verse 2. This is, this is it. And he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you were a... Here it is, the thread that stitches it all together. A gracious God and merciful slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. So here's the thread of this whole entire book. It's that God's heart is one of a tender and gracious love towards sinners. So here, if you're a note taker, let me try to say that again might be off by a few words. The thread of this book is to show us that God's heart is a heart of tender and gracious love towards sinners. I'm going to pray for us and then read this verse. But I just thought there might be it might be good to have a bit of an intro. So Father, I just ask this morning that you would reveal to us your tender and gracious love towards sinners. That we would see we're actually not far off from Jonah. That we far too often try to flee from your presence. That we far too often when we see you work in amazing ways are jealous and envious and angry at you. Would you use the book of Jonah to stir our hearts 
to a greater love and affection towards you and you alone? And would that then just seep and ooze out of us and flow out of us towards loving our neighbors? God, give us soft hearts this morning. Give us open minds. I pray this in your son Jesus' name, who has died for us. Amen. So starting in verse 1. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. Now we come to this first verse and we see that the word of the Lord came to Jonah. Why is it that the word of the Lord came to Jonah? Well, if you're familiar with Jonah at all, Jonah is a prophet. He has the unique and distinct privilege of hearing the Lord, hearing the word of the Lord and the word of the Lord coming to him. But we must ask ourselves during this book and during Jonah's life, what type of man was Jonah? And there's not much about Jonah that's told, but there is enough to tell us what he was like. This book helps us out, and also in 2 Kings it helps us out. Now, there are people who would argue saying Jonah is just a parable. The book of Jonah isn't real, it's made up. But in 2 Kings, we see Jonah mentioned during the reign of King Jeroboam II. And then we fast forward and we see Jesus speaking about Jonah as if he was a historical real figure. But what type of prophet was Jonah? Well, Jonah, like I said, was alive during the reign of King Jeroboam II. If you know anything about 1st and 2nd Kings and 1st and 2nd Chronicles, if you just read through it at a quick pace, you'll see that there's a lot of, and this king did right, what, um, right in the sight of God. And this king did what was evil in the sight of God. And during Jonah's life, he did the king, Jeroboam, what was evil in the sight of the Lord. And we see in 2 Kings that Jonah actually prophesies a, a good prophecy, a, a gracious prophecy, a prophecy of strengthening up the military base of, of the Israelites, the, the front lines of the Israelites. He was a prophet that, bought, that brought gracious and good news he would have been a well-liked prophet because of that the king would have viewed him an evil king as one of the good prophets now there's another prophet a contemporary prophet along with jonah that lived during jonah's lifetime and that was the prophet amos if you know anything about the prophet amos amos's message to king jeroboam was not a message of graciousness. In fact, 
Amos' message was one of judgment. It was impending judgment for Israel and for King Jeroboam because of the oppression and idolatry that the Israelites were committing to one another. And so what is actually pretty fascinating, if you read any commentators on Jonah, there is not really one commentator that paints Jonah in a favorable manner. One of the terms that he consistently got was a Jewish nationalist. And we see that in the book of Jonah as Jonah refuses to go to Nineveh. As when Jonah preaches judgment to Nineveh, he gets angry at God and says, this is why I did not want to do this. Which tells us another thing about Jonah, is that Jonah, the prophet, was not dumb, if I can say that as simply as possible. Jonah would have been trained to know all of the theological terms, all of the the knowledge of God as much as possible. He was in a lineage and he would have been surrounded by other prophets to know that you can't flee the presence of God. And that when the word of the Lord comes to a prophet, the prophet would obey. And so we see Jonah, the prophet, as one who knows God because he is a prophet. We see that the word of the Lord came to him, but is also one that has lost his way as a prophet as he gets angry when he sees Nineveh repent. So the question as we move forward has to be, so then what is it that the word of the Lord, what is it that the Lord said to Jonah? A simple message to Jonah, a pretty straightforward message to Jonah. Arise, arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come before me. So Jonah was to go to Nineveh. This verse tells us a few things about Nineveh. It's that it's a great city. And later on in, verse, uh, in, in chapter 3, we see that it actually takes Jonah a few days to walk through the city of Nineveh. It is a massive city. It is not small. But what else do we see about it? We see that what Jonah is supposed to do is call out against this great city. And not only is Jonah to call out against this great city, but we then see the punchline is that this great city that Jonah is to go to is an evil city. It's so evil that their evil has come up before God. Now, if you were a Jew, then what you would read this right here as It's a very similar comparison to Sodom and Gomorrah. As when Abraham is talking with God, 
God says that the prayers of those people called out against Sodom and Gomorrah. And what God ultimately does is rain his judgment on Sodom and Gomorrah for their sin. But just how evil is the great city of Nineveh? The great city of Nineveh, or the Assyrians, were so evil. This might be too graphic for some, but this is just what it is. Is they would take their captors, they would take those that they had captured, and they would cut off their legs and cut off their left arms, and then shake their right hand as they died. They would stretch out them as far as they could and fillet them like fish and put their skins around their wall to show their dominance to other cities. They would behead their slaves and have their families walk around like a parade. That's pretty evil. This is the Nineveh that God is telling Jonah to go to. A city and place that there seems to be absolutely no hope. No promise of repentance. And in fact, what this city deserves is God's judgment just like Sodom and Gomorrah. And so what does Jonah do? <laughs> you, don't bl you can't really blame him here, knowing that this is the great city of Nineveh, this is the evil, and God is telling Jonah, one man, go into this city and call out against it. So don't even give it a gracious message. Call out against it, Jonah. I want you to march in this great city. I want you to call out against it. And what does Jonah do? Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish. He rose to flee to Tarshish, but why? Would we blame him if he said, I'm refusing to go there because I know what these people are capable of? You know, sometimes in life, the will of God for us is excruciatingly painful. Martin Luther, during the Reformation, talked about this in two ways. The secret will and the known will of God. The secret things belong to the Lord, like tomorrow, we don't know what our will is is going to be tomorrow. The revealed will of God is what we know right now. 
What you are going through in your life has been revealed to you and at this point in time is the will of God for you. And oftentimes this can be painfully hard to swallow. Because oftentimes the will of God does not include mountaintop successes or living the plains of the comfortable life, but it includes the deepest valleys and painful hurts that you could ever experience. And so is this what's going on in Jonah's life as the word of the Lord comes to him and he says, arise and go to Nineveh and Jonah is just reminded about what Nineveh has done to Israel? How Nineveh has constantly been a, a, a thorn in the side as Israel has been in exile? Is Jonah possibly remembering the people that have been captured by the Ninevites only to be brutally and mercilessly skinned and beheaded? Verse 3 actually tells us the reason. He fled from the presence of the Lord. You see, Tarshish is as far west from Nineveh as possible. And Isaiah tells us that nobody knew Yahweh in Tarshish. That the name of Yahweh had not been proclaimed and Jonah knowing that is on a one-way ticket to go there so that way he can lay low. You see, Jonah heard or knew the will of God and yet he decided to flee from it. Instead of submitting to the will of God, Jonah deliberately disobeyed this prophet. This prophet who would have known, as Martin Luther said, that, that there's not a place on earth. Earth is too small for Jonah to hide at this point. And yet he is running. Why is it? It's back to chapter 4, verse 2. And he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is not this what I said when yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. Right above that, we're told the Ninevites repenting caused Jonah to be displeased and angry. Jonah is a man right now who is very angry and bitter. 
There are few things in this world that causes us to flee, but one of the biggest things that causes us to flee from the Lord is our bitterness and anger. Bitterness and anger and and hate towards the Ninevites caused Jonah to say, quite literally, and forgive me of my language, God damn me before I go to the Ninevites to preach the gospel. And how often we as Christians have a posture like Jonah's heart, God damn me before I preach the gospel to them. I would rather deliberately disobey the will of God than trust God because of the bitterness and anger that's in my heart, maybe towards a people or maybe towards God himself. You see, anger and bitterness cause us to flee from God. You may be here this morning asking the biggest question that most Christians ask. If I had to take a poll of what is the most consistent question that Christians ask during their lives, I really do think that the biggest question it would be is what is the will of God for me right now? You see, Jonah has the unique privilege of hearing the word of the Lord. He's a prophet. But most times, the word of the Lord doesn't come to us saying, go to Nineveh. We live in the reality of seeing the revealed will of God. And so maybe right now, the revealed will of God for you has you as angry as possible. Why, God, is this my circumstance? Do I have to forgive that spouse of mine? Can't I just remain angry at my kids? I can't believe my parents would say that or not let me do that. Why did I have to be cheated on? Why was my mom or my dad physically abusive? Why did I have to experience the sexual abuse in my life? God, why? Why is this your will? Why do I have to carry this? And all of that causes us to become more bitter and angry. You see, the will of God, as simply put, is this. What God is asking you and I to do is exactly what we prayed for. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Or as the psalmist says, I delight to do your will. I delight in the law of the Lord. What we are called to do when we see the will of God for our lives is to faithfully obey God's law, trusting each and every day that it is better for us. Because when we stop doing that, then we start walking away from the presence of the Lord. You see, I wonder what would have happened to Jonah if instead of fleeing and going to Tarshish where there were nobody 
where there was nobody there who knew Yahweh, wonder what would have happened if he would have went back to Jerusalem and said, this is the word that I just got. What happens if he would have went back to the community of prophets and said, the word of the Lord just came to me and he told me to go to Nineveh. I don't want to, what should I do? This is what he told me to say. And far too often, we as Christians tend to do the same thing as bitterness and anger come into our hearts. We start to neglect the community of believers by saying, I can do it by myself. I don't need them. This is what's going on in my life and I really don't like it anymore and I will handle it myself. So I won't say what's going on. I'll just put on a grumpy attitude. <laughs> Instead of coming towards coming to brothers and sisters who, who care about you and saying, this is my heart right now. There's this anger and bitterness that's rising up and I don't know what to do with it. I don't know how to respond to that person. And so we flee from obedience towards God. We flee from His revealed will for us right now. But let me conclude like this. As we continue to unfold Jonah, as I said before, the main theme, the main thread that stitches this whole book together is God's tender and gracious love towards sinners. And, and here's the thing. If, if you're thinking right now, oh, Max, that's heavy of you to ask me. I'm supposed to obey even in the hardest of times. I'm supposed to submit myself to God's will. That seems a little bit works-based now, doesn't it? You're telling me that if I don't obey God's will or his law, then I will flee from his presence? Yes and, and no. One of the things about the book of Jonah, and, and, and here Jesus even uses Jonah as an illustration of himself, is that there are a lot of Christ-like images here. The one we have this morning is absolutely incredible. It should encourage us. It should cause us to leave here on sky nine or cloud nine. We should be lifted up and sent out of here knowing this. Jesus doesn't run from the presence of God. Think about this. All the way back in Genesis 3, Jesus knew what the plan was. I mean, before time began, Jesus knew what the plan was. But the plan is told to us, at least in Genesis 3. Jesus knew what the Father's will was right away. They had covenanted together. So Father says to the Son, I will send you to die for the sins. I will send you. And Jesus doesn't flee. He doesn't look for a way out. Instead, in the Garden of Gethsemane, what do we see? Jesus falling to his knees as he's being wrecked with the knowledge of knowing what is about to happen. And he says, if there is any way to let this cup pass from my hands, let it pass. Talk about the, the agony, the mental agony that he is starting to face right now as all that's consuming him is every lash that he's going to receive, 
the nails that's going to go through his hands, the mockery and the shame. And he says, not my will, but yours be done. Yet not my will, but yours be done. Yet not my will, but yours be done. You see, whereas Jonah right here up to this point in this message that we're seeing or the book that we're seeing is, is Jonah would rather say, damn you, leave me be. Jesus comes and says, I'm not going to flee. Damn me so you can be free. And that's what Jesus does. He accepts the will. He doesn't flee. He goes to the cross so that you and I would not receive the same judgment that he receives, but we would receive eternal life for faith in him. And so if you're thinking, I can't, I can't walk through this. God's will for me right now, the life that I'm living right now is just too heavy. I've got no idea what tomorrow is going to bring. I don't want to forgive my enemies. I don't know what work is going to look like. My marriage is really hard. And yet we're constantly reminded that we have a high priest who is able to sympathize with us. And so right now, if God's will for you is painful, is hard, if right now maybe you're experiencing bitterness and anger because of hatred towards somebody or, or even God himself, I would say first confess that. But also know that, that Jesus has walked the same road. And he faithfully did it. Knowing that we as imperfect people would wrestle. But praise God our salvation is not based off of our perfection but his. And that's where we see God's gracious and tender, tender and gracious love towards sinners. Is that in this passage, we see that Jonah flees, but Jesus doesn't. Jonah runs to Tarshish. Jesus runs to Calvary. Jonah doesn't forgive. Jesus does. Let's pray. Father, thank you for sending your son Jesus who instead of running from his enemies, instead of being so disgusted with his enemies that he runs and, and flees and says, you guys are on your own, he faithfully and obediently walks he walks your will to redeem us, to reconcile us. And so, God, we thank you. It's in Jesus' name I pray.